You're now experiencing data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. So I'm excited to have Steve Bartos here. Uh, Steve, uh, what's happening? You're the steel man. I am the steel man. Not much is happening. Actually, we're getting ready to, to move over to a corporate function, so I may be the steel uh, pressure cylinders and engineered cabs man, but for right now, I'll keep it. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Steel Analytics. That's awesome. So, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. You manage the Predictive Analytics Group at Worthington Steel out in Ohio. Is that right? That is correct. Nice. So, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Like, what what are you doing with steel? What are you or what are you helping your colleagues do with steel? Is probably a better question. I mean, from our, from our team's perspective, we currently have one of our. Uh, we're a very small team right now. There's three of us in the steel processing division. One of our folks is a uh, sort of the wizard around forecasting. We have what we call our crown jewel of analytics in our automotive forecasting world, and she's been the keeper of that, the improver of that, the, the nurturer and the cultivator of all things. For our automotive group, primarily, you know, it's about 50, 50 to 60 percent of our business. So that's a model that was five, six, seven, eight years ago, and she rebuilt it. That's one area. The second area is another member of our team has been working in around pricing. We call it a price elasticity model, but our business is typically, it's more of a bid response. Folks send us quotes. We try to fulfill those quotes. We see where we win and lose and how we may be able to improve our pricing based on certain parameters. And I've been working primarily for the last year, year and a half with initial our folks in quality, so sort of our getting to our shop floor analytics. We have vision inspection systems on about five of our lines. So how do we take those data and make them more actionable first for our quality group? And now we're finding additional applications. And that led to what we like to call the birth of big data at Worthington Industries. So how do we take some of these very old, very expensive operations machines like a rolling mill, basically reducing the gauge of steel. But, you know, currently we have some software that's wrangling five, 600 machine parameters. And how do we take that and surface that to our operations group, our quality group and our maintenance group to help them make better decisions. But again, that's in the infancy. And I think we'll probably uh, maybe touch on some of the challenges around that in some way, shape or form in this conversation. Sort of the quick overview, the quick tour. Cool. So at some point when we were talking about having you on the show here, you had mentioned data rich and insight poor. And, and this is obviously a common thing kind of with people dealing with analytics. So how do you make sure that you're not insight poor? <laughs> obviously, you're trying to give people what they need and help them figure out how to get more value out of their work or for Worthington. But I, at the end of the day, I imagine that means helping someone set a value here, tell someone what a price range should be, right. uh, whatever it may be. How do you do that? Like, what do you do to make sure that you're delivering value to them and, and kind of in that what we call that last mile, right? No, absolutely. And that's where and there's a, probably a handful of examples I can give recently with operations folks. So if you take this tandem mill and they're managing a team that day to day, you know, let's say three shifts a day, they're trying to hit certain targets. Hey, we're running this material through this operation. We need to reduce it to X width. We have operators running their, what they consider best practice, running that material and they get some indicator of how well they did, or they don't get an indicator of how well they did beyond just, you know, a quick gauge chart. And the challenge is, 
First, it's impressive how well they're able to run such a complex operation. If you consider you have five or 600 machine parameters, you have all the inputs of the material that we're running, where we sourced it from, how it's, how it's shaped, chemistry, and the, their ability to be able to do that well is extremely impressive. But the, where, I, where you get to the insight for is we have operators, and it's surprising to me, I've been with the company for four years, but they'll say, hey, we would like to, I like to see how I'm performing hour to hour, shift to shift, see how this operator does against this operator, see how our performance has changed now that we are sourcing our raw material from a different vendor. What I would consider fairly fundamental questions, nothing predictive, nothing prescriptive, very descriptive, and they don't have necessarily have that ability or that ability as a function of maybe a local electrical engineer, someone that's tasked with managing their you know, level two systems, and maybe they know a little something about how to pull that data out of those systems. In one case, we have a gentleman that's made his goal to learn more about R, and he's throwing it into some shiny apps for some very specific questions. But broadly, it's that gap of folks managing their day-to-day business. And there, there are instances where it's better than others, but that's really where you look at the amount of data that we're generating. What percentage of that data are we acting on? And maybe it's simply at the, you know, the HMI of an operator and the percentage of that data that we're capturing and the percentage of that that we're strategically connecting with other data and or connecting it to the questions that the folks on the shop floor actually have. So that's been that's been eye-opening, tremendous opportunity. But the challenge is how do you navigate that landscape? Like you said, that last mile to really understand what is it they're asking, what is it they need, and being able to deliver on that in a way that they can take some action or that fits with their, you know, their strategic goals or their initiatives or what they feel is important. So I'm curious, how do you go about figuring that out? You, you've got the sales side of the business and then you actually have more of the machinery and the people right, that are operating the machinery to create the products that you then eventually sell. Do you use a different process because there's different end stakeholders? For example, are the people that are on the shop floor, are, are they curious about their own work and their callings? Or is it more like a manager of this group who may not actually be on the shop floor day to day is curious about team performance? And, you know, is the way Jane does step five on the mill, you know, actually better than everyone else? And maybe we can use whatever Jane's doing to help everyone else on the team run step five better because she's figured out some way to do it. And and is it more of a managerial thing or, or is it actually the end users themselves running this machinery that you're trying to help? I think it's pieces and parts of both. Where, uh-huh. where my initial response at the, when you uh, began posing the question was around the exposure that at the manager level, let's say it's an operation manager who would oversee all the operations, or maybe it's a manager of a specific operation at the facility, their exposure to data previously and what that is sort of shapes the narrative and it shapes the expectation and what they feel can be done with the data and how the data can better serve them. I think from my side, the challenge is different in what I may think. I, I guess it's on, orienting yourself to the needs of that person, whoever that person may be, and not getting carried away with what I feel the best application is, what I feel the best, whether it's a dashboard, an analytics decision support tool, whatever that may be. But I think understanding that what we've learned is folks want to see the data, you, like in may, shortening that iteration cycle and not being as aggressive right out of the box has served us well as of late because we've learned the lessons of going away and maybe spending time with a single subject matter expert and, and catering to their, their, their wishes and what they feel is valuable. And then you, again, whether it's up the, 
up the hierarchy or down the hierarchy, you start serving it up. And really what it comes down to is something I just want to see how we did by hour, by shift. And that's great that you went ahead and correlated some of these machine parameters with our performance and started to show where, you know, when we leave three standard deviations, we tend to drift from our target. That's all great. How did we do an hour ago? Can I just see that? Can I just get some fundamental understanding of the performance of the machine around some of the variables that I think are key? And so really walking that back Right, and it's not, and it's no shortcoming. The acceleration tends to be greater when out of the box we could maybe come a little more uh, like a little more fundamental and just meeting them where they're at and delivering up some some simple insights or even just some you know like I said just some descriptive you know visualizations of the of of the performance. I think that's been something that we've learned has been reinforced here for folks that have never seen their data. Sometimes it's Let's take a step back. Let's slow down and, and really meet the consumer where they're at to help them ask more questions, different questions, questions that would we would see progressing to from rearview mirror to sort of the current state and from the current state to the you know the, the right. world of the possible. Right. So I'm I'm curious. You mentioned like something about going into aggressive. So it, was there a learning moment, a teachable moment, a, a story where you found yourself like maybe you kept your team in check from the way it used to design these solutions and instead you're like, hold on a second, you know, they don't they don't need that entire world. They really want to just understand like what was the tolerance range for whatever value between 12 and one o'clock earlier today. Was there a moment where you changed a process or you learned something about designing that solution for the end user that's different than how you were doing it before? Yes, and I and I think that was driven in large part by our. I guess we became a little more mature, or became a little more. Uh, was that turning the turning the microscope on yourself? And that's looking at how of our tools that we've released. So let, let's say we're using Tableau, and actually we actually build like a performance monitoring tool. Who's opening these dashboards? What 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 pages? What views are they going to? How frequently are they going to those? And I referred back to working very closely with a single subject matter expert on a certain project. And he's fantastic, super bright guy, very analytical. He's, a, he's on the quality team. He oversees our vision inspection system tools we were building. So we just stood up a data lake. And, and he is, you know, he's 10 steps ahead of everyone else in terms of how we could use the data with that group. And so we go from simple performance monitoring into, hey, let's see how, how our suppliers are doing. Let's see how we're in just all these iterations, all these questions, different types of questions and clustering different dashboards in different ways, way out in front of it. But then when we step back and we built the tool to actually monitor performance, what you see is a handful of folks, you know, migrating to a, like a single view, just that single performance view. I guess that reinforced from my standpoint is meeting the user where they're at, being a little less aggressive about answering every question out of the box that you may potentially have and being more aggressive about a single view, a single question. It's just those tighter iteration cycles. And I felt like we built some great tools and slowly month after month, we start seeing the need or the pull from the business as opposed to us pushing out six different tools with multiple views. And you start seeing, hey, so-and-so from a certain facility starting to see a quality issue related to what they think is a change in sourcing. Oh, wait, we already had this tool built because we built it six months ago, but no one was ready for it. Seeing the, the way analytics can help facilitate better decision making doesn't necessarily come with showing someone every single question they can possibly answer. Right. Waiting for them to applaud how how much how much time and how much energy and effort you save them. 
Sure, sure. I'm I'm curious about the um, SME that you're. Uh, <laughs> I call them SME, the subject matter expert. Actually, his first name. It's very ironic. His name is SME. <laughs> no. Wow. <laughs> I kind of actually was like, wow, that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> very ironic. But I'm curious: is SME your customer, or is is SME translating requirements on behalf of someone that's actually opening up Tableau or whatever you know software you're making? Yeah, that's you know what we would call a proxy, right? In, in the design yep. standpoint, it's not the horse's mouth; it's kind of a proxy for it. And so, especially with someone that might be able to see that 10x world of what could be possible with all the data that's there, versus someone that's actually going to pull the trigger on an insight that was gleaned and do something with it, because ultimately all this stuff doesn't matter if there's no trigger is pulled at the end of the day. So how do you get access to that end user or are you really building this for SME? Right. <laughs> Whatever his or her name is. <laughs> yeah, I think I think in the, the he's also been the I guess in part subject matter expert in sort of the almost like a quasi product owner as we interact on this recent project with our with the tandem mill team team that uh in charge of the operations of this rolling mill. So he's in part consumer because as a, as a member of the quality team, clearly the performance of that mill is something of interest to him. But he's helped, and I think we've had these conversations around, you know, wow, we, got, we came out of the box really aggressive with that previous project. And we joked about how, I guess the analogy I would make was anyone that spent any time building any visual analytic tool, and, and we just had a conversation around this with a, with a, with a group, a little newer to Tableau, but how it's that last mile, it's that last one percent that you have to get right if you want it to resonate. Even if you know, even if you're just presenting a, a cursory first cut of an analysis, how you simplify that and get and make that more focused helps drive the conversation. Helps drive the person that's never seen it, right? So you spend hours and hours and hours building, and you're going to open it up to someone first time view. You got to get that right. And I think we joked about how. This is what he thinks about all the time. He's looking at a view that maybe I built for him and thinking all the ways we could iterate on that and improve it. So he's sort of serving like that, that overlap between the end user and the subject matter expert and sort of a liaison for us. The end user has never seen these tools. They're, they're thinking about the, the issue. The issue is, hey, we're having some performance issues, some quality issues. They, they, don't need, they haven't thought 10 steps ahead about how we're going to build a tool. It's show me directly how I can impact that. So I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I think it's he has helped guide us through his understanding of the process of, the, of that world. But I think what we've both agreed on is still having those touch points with really the, like the analytics novice. The novice consumer is important if we're going to get it right out of the box and start creating that pull. Well, ultimately, again, the last mile, if, if <laughs> we have data lakes and we have predictive analytics and machine learning, we have all these things, right? And at the end of the day, you're probably going to spit out a PDF, a web page, uh, maybe a mobile application, and it all comes down to that moment of did that person on the other at the last mile understand it, find it insightful, and then pull a trigger and do something about it if, if it's that type of analytic and right. our exploratory ones too. But it sounds like you're kind of more in that declarative, like people have specific questions in mind that they need to get answered. Yep. So I'm curious, did you guys ever get involved with like showing them low fidelity sketches or like bring them into like a whiteboarding session and say, hey, would this type of analytic or, you know, would this type of chart or whatever it may be help you answer that question that you have prior to building anything? Or do you guys typically wait until you actually have some kind of prototype or, how, you know, in Tableau or how do you 
how do you know, is it kind of like you're not really sure and you build and then you, you show it to them and then you wait for that feedback and then you iterate from there or? No, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I think when I talk about our change in approach, we have tried to pay much more attention to that critical, like that pre-planning stage. Let's really drill into the question. Let me really understand what, when you say, can you help me with X? Let me really understand what that is. And let me try to break that down. Whether you go fully down to like a Mises single question, mutually exclusive. If, if you get there, great. But really understanding the need in the question. And then what we've tried to do, whether we storyboard it or we have representative work that we've done before. And as they're saying, hey, you're going to surface these 90 machine parameters. Can you help us tell which ones we have to pay attention to? And then we, I, hey, I heard you say that. This is what we did with the maintenance group on this current project was we had built something that we felt was could be app applied in that way. And we pulled that up and said, let's talk about this. How could we you know, shape this view to meet the need around that question? So doing much more pre-planning. Again, that's something we just talked about today in a meeting was before you're in there dragging and dropping, really understanding the question, really understanding everything, the constellation of other, whether I mean, we, we call them filters, but what else could be coming to play on this situation that you're going to need to filter out as far as the, you know, the, the signal from the noise, but then iterating more tightly. Even once you think you have something coming back and saying, hey, here's what I'm, here's what I'm getting ready to carve out. Does that seem to apply or what am I not thinking about? And that's where we've used that subject matter expert at times as a proxy, but sometimes I think bringing it back to the user much more frequently, much sooner, and on much more um, focused and scale has paid dividends. Right, right. Are you guys physically located in the same place such that you get you can have, like when you've had these encounters, are they over the phone or do you guys actually get together? So our corporate headquarters, our uh, IT headquarters, and then this facility are all located here in Columbus. Mm -hmm. What we have worked with our BI group on developing and they've done a fantastic job was we're, we're, we're big into transformation and lean and we have you know kaizen events which are these week-long events everyone gets locked in the room wherever that may be to start solving business problems they've they've taken a similar approach with how they develop their uh, bi dashboards particularly the role-based dashboards so they'll start 30 days out and get let's say it's a group of supply chain managers and get that group maybe initially on the phone 30 or so days out and have some pre-work around understanding their challenges, their questions, their challenges, opportunities, pain points, and then working through the specific questions they're trying to answer, trying to cluster those questions maybe around, hey, these are questions about our suppliers. These are our questions about you know our, our whip and our velocity through our plant. These are our questions about our end customer and then, then using that to start whiteboarding with some of those folks. So you go into a week-long event and you're, for most of it, you're iterating on, you know, mock-ups, whatever you want to call them, both stuff that's already been built. And maybe you have a, you know, a touch point in the morning and you're, you're, you're basically building views in that. The end of the week should be, hey, we finalized some views. Let's let folks go out and beat it up for a month. We'll funnel any requests through a, through like the dashboard champion, or if there's multiple views, it might be, hey, here's our, folks for the raw material side, they're going to be a champion and any requests are going to funnel through them. And then hopefully at the end of 30 days, you have a finished product. So you did 30 days before a week sprint, 30 days after. Now we start monitoring performance and having, you know, a 60, 90, 120 day check-in and monitoring where we've, where folks are using it, where they're not using it as a training issue, as a design issue. And one piece they've added to this, which I, um, which I, I think we need to do a better job of that's great that you go to the, we call it going to the Gemba, understanding the, the need of the user, 
in doing that as a follow-up? How are they using it? Where do they see it? Where can we, where, where can we improve upon it? Sort of like that, the day in the life. Well, there's a day in the life before to understand how the folks are making decisions, but I think there's also the day in the life after to see how the tool is being integrated into their role and responsibility and where there may be opportunities for improvement. Got it. So it sounds like you guys have a, a tight uh, feedback loop. They're involved both in the uh, design process as well as the uh, kind of iteration uh, that happens after you have a first a first living thing, <laughs> a tool that's actually, you know, theoretically is working and and providing its insight. So, so that's cool. It sounds good that you guys are out there. Are they are uh, like, for example, the mill operators. So what is their environment like? Are, 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 I mean, it's, I, I'm picturing uh, molten steel and a laptop out. <laughs> are they going back and forth between an office and then a kind of an industrial environment? Do they, you know, access to screens and reporting near the tool? Or like, I'm wondering how tightly coupled when someone's saying, I need hourly analytics or it's like, oh, you know, practically real time or, or just barely lagging real time. Are they wearing gloves? Are they using a tablet? Like what, what's that experience like? So currently, if, you know, what I've been talking about a bit is just like that performance management piece. They are not making like tactical hour by like, you know, real time decisions from the analytics teams tools. And mm-hmm. that's, that's our the desired end state. So I mean, at some point, that's not a desired end state, I guess, but that's certainly an avenue that that we see great opportunity. Currently now, it would be more around like that performance monitoring piece. So maybe, for example, we've been having the conversation around operator and operator performance. So being able to look at, hey, when we're running this same, we call it finish good, it would be like a skew. Um, We know what the target is. The target is X, but it looks like when Bob sets the machine up, he sets it up a certain way. Bill sets it up another way and Jones sets it up another way. Um, Having the data, which we've recently done, having the data to start to normal or control for operator variability. Hey, why are we setting this up differently? And having the data have a conversation with it, which is something we just did with it. had the group of all the operators and they were looking at the highest running finished goods um, and how we set those up and why people set it up differently and then pulling up data and having that group collectively around the data say, based on the data, let's set it up this way and then monitoring the performance and then if if it doesn't perform well making a change but what you've done is then stabilize the environment so it's hard to talk about the influence of different machine parameters on quality if every operator is setting it up based on their own tribal knowledge of how it runs best one of the first cuts was just let's take all the finished goods let's understand how the machine should be set up and then we can look at when we start deviating and is that something about the incoming material or is that something about the health of the machine, but that's where our subject matter expert has been fantastic is starting to use the data to drive that conversation. And what we did was we take, you know, you think of all these veteran operators that believe that their way is the best way. I mean, we thought for a while it was a week long event. Are there going to be fist fights? Are people going to take this very offensively? Like what my way is the best way. And then what they said at the end was, well, you showed us the data. You showed us how we all set it up. You showed us we change a lot more than we ever thought we changed. And you showed us how we perform. So it's kind of hard to argue. Sure. And I think what you're doing, like, I mean, it, like from a design standpoint, especially if you're developing internal tools, right? It's getting the people that are actually going to sit and use these interfaces involved in the creation process, minimally from a research standpoint to, to understand the problem. But the more they understand the goal and, and well, they should be helping you define the goals and the problems, right. but by getting them involved, it makes the adoption process a lot easier. And, and you know, I, I hear a fair amount about, you know, low engagement with analytics services as being a problem that 
product managers and, and, and data product managers, people that are overseeing, you know, analytics group C. And a lot of it's like, well, did you get the end user involved, whoever that is, and how closely and how tightly were they involved in what you're creating? Because they're going to believe it more. <laughs> if they understand how it's going to benefit them or it's a collaborative process, like in your example, where I don't have an agenda to set it up my way. I just think my way is better. But if it's a better way, everyone's open to it when they understand the goal collectively here is to optimize the output of the mill, you know, <laughs> and, and they can see how you're doing it. It's probably a lot easier to get them to to uh, engage with you, provide you good feedback, and, and they feel like they're part of it. So I think that's really cool that you guys are doing that. Does Larry Moe and Jack or whoever the, you know, these operators yeah. were, do they move between the floor and like an office cubicle? Are they kind of back and forth? I'm curious kind of about that actual experience of using right. these analytics that you're providing. Right. When does that happen? What, if you can envision some, like a, someone sitting in, you know, like a small office at the facility who's in charge of managing the performance of that specific operation. I see. And then you'd have folks out on the line, actually, you know, day to day working their shift on the line. But in two things, and, and, that, and this is another area that we'd like to, bro so we had, they have daily, they call it Gemba Walk, where you go to a, a performance board and talk about issues and talk about your performance. Mm -hmm. We built a tool, like an electronic version of that in Tableau, which provides us some, some, some information. It doesn't provide all the information they typically cover. It's like a daily stand-up meeting uh, for each shift. And then they also have, uh, you know, whether it's a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, like, you know, team meetings where they've begun to use data in those meetings. So when I talk about this is like, it's called, there was a set point. So how we're setting up the mill for our finished goods. So there was a, like a Kaizen event. Well, then, then they want to use the sort of the performance boards we've created of, are we improving our performance? by making this collective agreement on how we're going to set up. And they want to use that in those meetings to help assess the performance. So they're not quite in front of all operators all the time, but there's various touch points with various frequency and various depth of analytics or whatnot that's being presented to them. Got it. You're actually working, it sounds like, in, in this predictive analytics space, and you said you're changing. And I'm wondering, does, does the fact you're going to be maybe looking less rear view and more future, are you going to change something about how you design these solutions for, for the end customer Well, as, as a nature of being future looking? The change for us is having a centralized corporate analytics function, mm -hmm. working in tighter conjunction with our IT and our transformation teams. That's the big change. You know, I talked about that analytics or the automotive forecasting model. I think when you look in other areas, I don't, I don't think there'll be a change. I think there's still that need to understand the need of your end user and iterate around them, orient them to analytics, whatever way, shape, or form it's being presented or whatever, you know, whatever the tool is, whatever the analysis is, I think there's still that same need. And I think there'll always be a challenge of, there used to be a conversation at, you know, managerial C-suite about like, where are we doing, we need more predictive analytics. We need more predictive analytics. Well, really what you need is to be able to answer more questions with the insights you're gleaning from the data that you're collecting, right? The values in the data, what's, what, what are all your valuable data assets that you're not answering questions with? And how do we get people answering more questions that are valuable and then answering, you know, as you move yourself up to the hierarchy from descriptive to predictive to prescriptive, yes, that you'll be gleaning more value, but sometimes for the user, 
or for a first step is just, can we just show them the data and give them some insight into their day-to-day operation, into their world, right? It's like having a, having the blinders on them. Yes, eventually we'll get predictive and prescriptive, but I think from an analytics team, it's still, are you answering, are you meeting the need? Are you answering the question? Right. And it's really like strategically, I mean, there's been a push or there's been continual alignment on making sure that we are working on, and by we, I mean, analytics, IT, and transformation are working on the strategic objectives of the organization collectively much better and multiplying, you know, sort of like the one plus one plus one equals five. We're going to multiply the impact so we're not all working our own silos and we're not working on a problem that may be a problem for a single business unit, but strategically there's higher value targets. Got it. Got it. Are you getting from senior management, do you get this we need to do predictive analytics. We need AI. We need machine learning, like kind of <laughs> the leading, the, the solution leading in front of the problem. And then they're coming, are, are you getting asked that? And then you're kind of doing a coaching about, well, what problems do we want to solve and what, what might be possible with the data yeah. sets that we have? Is that an, is that an education that has yeah. to happen? Yeah, I think I think senior leadership may get, you know, you, you report out to the board and the board's talking about everyone's doing digital and AI. What are we doing? Let's get a strategy around digital. And um, what we did, I know from this is from the steel perspective, was start, hey, let's look at our strategy deck, our strategy sl- stri- slides for the fiscal year and strengths, opportunities, weaknesses, threats, all that good stuff. And let's pull out all the themes and where we see themes emerging out of those. And let's look what we're currently doing in the world of digital, right? It may not be, like I said, the Google Glasses and the exoskeleton of the operator being controlled by a, you know, an AI algorithm processing, you know, terabytes of data per nanosecond or whatever. But where are we actually doing, quote unquote, digital right now? And where do we have an opportunity, you know, short term, midterm, long term to continue to leverage that related to our strategic goals? And I think that conversation has helped both A, convince people that we're, we're certainly not doing nothing, but also, hey, there's some opportunities we have if we align strategically where we could be doing more. But if you really want to move the needle, how do we align? We've been calling it the three-headed monster, IT transformation analytics. Where do we better align and then make an appropriate investment to, I guess, you know, capitalize on all that opportunity? Got it. Am I correct that you have a PhD in science education? You are correct. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I think one of the big changes, I want to start making people call me doctor. <laughs> well, I, I was curious, do you leverage anything from that background and in that process of, of educating? Because something that you, you hear is as you go up the senior ranks in a, a lot of businesses, especially non-technology businesses, you know, the board members and the senior leaders, AI is still, you know, the terminator, you know, <laughs> the possibilities right. of general intelligence. And they, they just oftentimes don't have a really good grasp of what's currently feasible and what kinds of problem and how you might want to start with like a really small problem. Like, hey, maybe we can predict when, you know, this part is going to break on right. this uh, mill and it's not sexy, but we're going to start with that to show that, hey, it's an expensive part. If we can get in front of it, we can save, you know, X dollars and it's a nice increment of technology to build that has a definitive value. Is that, do you leverage any of your, your science education background uh, to communicate upstairs uh, some of these types of things? And you sort of hit on, you sort of hit on the answer. I mean, outside of a background that included quantitative, qualitative research methods and techniques and statistics and whatnot, I think it's the, the communication piece, you know, having spent 
whatever, 17 years teaching, I think the importance that I've learned to place on communication, and it's similar to the conversation we were having earlier around how do you take like that last mile, right? That last mile is being clear and concise in communication and being able to coherently map out like, like a conversation through a presentation. You're going to walk management through, hey, at the Columbus hand mill, what we started out with was how are we doing? How's our, how's our mill doing? Putting that into just some high level associations that we're seeing between machine parameters and performance. And then next talking about, well, here's how we think we can use some algorithms to understand those predictors of, let's say, quality issues, right? So we see some associations here, um, even just through a dashboard where we're starting to see when this is high, we have a quality issue. But in communicating that, well, that's not a, a univariate relationship. It's not, you're not going to find one machine parameter related to a quality issue. We're going to need advanced math. So then what we're trying to do is understand all those the multivariate relationship between machine parameters and product parameters and operator behavior. But in the end, what we're trying to do is A, understand when we produce a poor quality product, but ultimately not produce it. So I think if so that communication piece we've mapped out, that's our roadmap. Here's where we are now. Here's where we're going. And here's how we hope to get there. And I think to your point of what do I use? I think it's really that communication and, and, and being able to clearly and concisely, whether it's through a strategy slide deck of where we're going with this project or to, I think the same thing applies to a visualization. It's real easy to throw up some work that you've done in Tableau around a question that a, you know, a manager or an executive had. It's real easy to do that. It's really difficult to do that well and have have some control of the conversation, be able to say, here's what we did, here was the question, here's the data we used, here's a, here's a, how we analyzed it, and here's the suggestion we're making, and now let's talk about why, and do that in a way that doesn't lead to an in-the-weed session right. and frustration. I think that is, and but being very cognizant of how much planning and attention that takes before the meeting, which is similar to another point you made, which was around how do you get better and how do you understand the needs of the user, like understanding how important that conversation is and asking more questions. I haven't, I haven't done a good job of this in this interview, but asking more questions and doing more listening before you do anything. <laughs> it's a, similar, a similar lesson that I've learned, which is what you try to do with when you're trying to teach someone something. It's real easy for, for as a teacher to, for me to tell someone something, but having no understanding of what that person brings to the table as far as an, an understanding or asking how they're making sense of it is sure I, that's a really long answer to that question so i guess i would say yeah <laughs> no that's 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 interesting the the communication thing and i i think you're right that that the the listening part when we talk about doing user experience research you know sometimes we talk about listening you know as, as when you're doing qualitative uh, interviews with people, it's it's heavily about listening. And when you're doing usability testing on a prototype or a design, that's actually a lot about watching. You know what people actually do and 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 seeing it. But the point is, is that you're you're taking in information a lot more than you're putting <laughs> putting right. out information there. And you're you're really there to feed the questions and try to get them to uh, expose what's going on in their head. Because uh, the, the problems are not always explicitly stated. Sometimes they're not using the same language for it, and and so I feel like our you know our job is as designers and people that create. Theoretically, we're creating solutions, right? If we're creating right. solutions, it means that we have fallen in love with those problems, and we we can articulate them very clearly, and and that we have that <laughs> we have a model of what's in their head. Uh, more than the model that we may have. You're not alone or, or in that, if you've had that experience where maybe you've built first and asked questions second, I think a lot of software, you know, has been 
built that way in the past. And, and while it is the iteration cycles are shorter and it's possible to get working prototypes going a lot more quickly, it's also you, you have the temptation to not want to rebuild. No one wants to rebuild, right? So right. no one wants to go back and work on it again. So you tend to fall in love a little bit with your own stuff and, and you're less, you know, there's a natural, I mean, it happens even with me with design. It's like you, you, I try to stay low fidelity early in order to be able to throw things away that aren't right. Because uh, the higher the fidelity you go early, the just the more you're not going to really want to redo it. And so you have to be aware of that tension. And um, But yeah, so I think it's cool that you guys are going out and, and trying to really get to the heart of the problems before you deliver you know, answers and solutions and software and reports and things like that. So that's great. No, and I like your, I like your point about falling, you falling in love with their problem, with their issue, as opposed to falling in love with this, the first solution you right. provide them. And I think what, what at, at the heart, as it does with most things and back to like, what did I, what do I use and what did I learn from my previous experience? It really comes back to trust, right? That they trust that you are there to solve their problem. You're not there. You know, you can see it when you present. I'm just thinking a lot. We tend to interact with, hey, here's Steve. I'm going to show up and I'm going to show you what I've built for you so far. And there's maybe anywhere, you know, one, two, six people in the room. And you just get that, eh, yeah, like, what's that again? Like, you want, <laughs> and then you don't want them to be hesitant about saying, I don't get it. This, I don't, this isn't working for me or this isn't right. Or this, you, you, you want to have that open dialogue and have them trust that you're there for them and have them feel comfortable saying, no, like, what I really want to get at is this and having that, which I think can be challenging, particularly when, until you've established a relationship, you know, some of these folks you start working with them and you start understanding, yes, I'm here to work with you. I'm absolutely here to do everything I can to make your life easier, make you a more valuable employee, help you deal with the stuff that your subject matter expertise should be used for. But I think until you get there, you're, that's a great point. You need to fall in love with their problem, go low fidelity and be able to show them you're willing to make changes or do whatever it takes to get to that solution that they feel is aligned with what they were, you know, envisioning, right. asking for solves the problem. Right, right. Cool, man. This has been uh, a lot of fun. Is there like a takeaway or something from like working in your industry and well, specifically in your your focus on analytics here, but something that you would feel is a key takeaway from like kind of thinking about this last mile, like any guidance or wisdom that's just come from your experiences at Worthington? <laughs> I'm not sure it's wisdom. And again, every time I, when I think of it, I think, well, it's like, it's obvious, right? It's always obvious once you've learned the lesson the hard way that it, it's really about the people, right? It's really about who is that person that you're trying to help empower, that it's really about them. It's not about me. It's about me understanding what their need is. And in the end, it's if they don't use it, it's not worth anything. It's actually worth less than nothing because I just spent a lot of my time, energy, and resources putting it together. So I think it really comes down to, I'm sure that gets emphasized by some, but that it's really about the people. And if you're go going to be delivering the type of at least the type of solutions we're talking about are having that customer facing view no matter what you're building you better be able to understand the people and their need and keep them in consideration with whatever you're doing right i think that was a great kind of closing point here and that's something i would reiterate is there's math there's tech there's it there's resources there's a lot of stuff that goes into ingesting data from systems and theoretically spitting out insights on the other end and if that last mile is not there and no one is engaging with the service it doesn't matter and and more specifically what you said it's not just 
that you batted zero, you actually kind of batted negative. If you're, <laughs> right. if you're like, you're, you're not creating commercial software products. You're not a SaaS. These are internal tools. But what else could you guys have been doing with that? Right. Time? It's actually a negative return. So it's really important to get this right and to, to make sure that there's, there's engagement here, meaningful engagement, right? Actual decision support and that you're measuring that because you're actually negative. You're not zero. And I think that's a really good point. It's a cost. It's now a cost center instead of a, you know, it's supposed to probably be supposed to be saving money or helping make money maybe, but definitely not losing it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, you know, so I think that's a, a really good closing thought, but yeah, this is great. So all right, I'm curious, are you on uh, do you have a website? Do you have Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? Is there a place people could like uh, learn more about what your work is or anything? You could, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, I do have a Twitter. I have a very minimal, Twitter presence. I'm at uh, old dirty bar graph. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Old dirty old bar graph. Dirty bar graph. Cool. Well, I'll throw your uh, LinkedIn uh, Twitter handle into the uh, show notes so people can access those. Uh, and uh, Steve, it's been this is uh, Steve Bartos again from Worthington Steel, and he manages the uh, Predictive Analytics Group out in Ohio. And uh, this has been super fun. Thanks for coming on and uh, telling us a little bit about the world of steel and analytics. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully people learned as much from me that I learned from you during this hour. So. <laughs> cool. Well, awesome. I look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon. All right. Thank you. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.